Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. Hi, I'm Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. I'm trying now for my third episode of the show to be more animated in my voice. Um, I've been hearing some feedback from uh, listeners and thank God it sounds like it's going well, but a long-time radio show host uh, friend said, you need more animation in your voice, Allison, and he said it's a common thing that happens because when you're recording a radio show, you're hearing your voice as the rest of the world hears it through your headphones, and you have to make that adjustment when you speak. And then I got to thinking about that, like how do we hear ourselves versus how other people hear us, and how do we see ourselves versus how other people see us. A mirror also is distorted. You see yourself backwards, the rest of the world sees you a different way. I started thinking how this has to do with the way that we view our actions versus how the rest of the world views our, view our actions and how this might connect with Don Lakovskos, with giving people the benefit of the doubt. And my thoughts are that when we see someone else do something that doesn't seem right, that doesn't seem nice, we often can easily just jump to the wrong conclusions and, you know, think they're not a caring person, they're not an honest person, they're not a good person. But for ourselves, we see the other perspective, we see the other side. We know that it was a tough day and we snapped because we were stressed. We know that, you know, we struggle to do the right thing. We, we see a different side. We hear a different side when it's ourselves. Anyway, so, um, as I'm working on a more animated type of voice and I still actually sound weird to myself, so I guess I'll have to get used to that. Um, I just thought that was something that we could, uh, consider that we look and sound different to the rest of the world than we see and hear ourselves and perhaps our actions do too and perhaps we can view our friends and families and co-workers actions in a different way in a better light to try to see them and see their actions as they see their own um, we've got an exciting show today uh, we're going to be speaking to a man named misha beshkin um, who comes from the former Soviet Union. Um, he's got an interesting story about how he came to a Jewish observance and how he's using his technology background to help the world of uh, kosher products now. Um, so we're going to bring Misha up onto the line now. Misha, good morning. Well, good morning, Elephant. And thanks for joining us today on Jew in the City Speaks. Uh, yeah, you see, it is uh, evening time in Tallinn now. So okay, it's, so it's, not, it's not just that New York is the center of the world. There's yes. other to other time zones too. Well, good evening. Then I'll just say to you. So now, where you live in? Um, what this is in Estonia, Tallinn, Estonia. Yeah, actually, Tallinn is the capital of Estonia. It is small country, uh, just in the corner between uh, Finland and Russia. Got it, between Finland and Russia. I'm trying to think about a map right now. So sort of like uh, northwest, am I right? Yeah. Northeast of North Europe. East. Northeast of Europe, yeah. And uh, it is uh, on the south from Finland through a uh, gulf and uh, on the west from Russia. Got it. And um, so you were born there? No, no. Actually, I was born in Daugavpils, Latvia. It is uh, uh, 600 kilometers from here. It. It's not far, but it is different country. Got so, it. <laughs> Simil- similar culture, similar language, similar? Nothing similar. Not at all. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not at all. Okay. And how about, I'm always curious when, you know, people, Jewish people are in, you know, parts of Europe, so many people came after the war to, you know, the States or, you know, sort of left Europe. Where was your family during the, the World War II era? 
my both grand grandfathers uh, they were uh, serving in Soviet army. They were struggling in the uh, on the front, and uh, my grandmothers with their families uh, they happily rescued uh, my grandmother from my mother's side. She's from Vitebsk, Belarus, and uh, they escaped just in the last two days before occupation. And the family of my father, they escaped, uh, all of them escaped to Russia. And uh, it was like a miracle for them. And they escaped to where? Where did they go to afterwards? Uh, then uh, in, uh, they went to Russia to s- southern Siberian uh, district. So it's far away from uh, war, war, war uh, territories. Wow, so Siberia was the escape, when normally that's where you send someone. Yes, when you exactly, <laughs> yes, yes. I guess when, you know, your choices aren't so good, Siberia could be your better choice. Wow. Yes. So uh, now, if you could tell me about your Jewish background, so what was, so, wh- were they observant before, they, during the war or before the war or? Uh, parents of my father, they came from, uh, pre-war Latvia. It wasn't the Soviet Union at that time in Latvia. And uh, it was uh, independent country. So the uh, my ma- uh, grand- grandmother, she uh, she came from uh, observing family, strictly observing, and uh, she kept observing even after the Second World War. Then it was Soviet Union period time. So, so I remember all the tradition at, at home. They they kept all the uh, my grandmother. She kept all the tradition, and uh, even uh, in Soviet Union, it was uh, a rule that you need to work on on uh, Saturday. So she used to do some somehow. She escaped from work on Saturday, so not not to break Shabbat. And, uh, even I remember, uh, white chicken before, uh, b- before Yom Kippur. So always there was a white chicken before Yom Kippur at home. But my parents, they didn't. Wait, can you explain uh, white chicken before Yom Kippur? What does that mean? I'm not sure. Uh, okay, it, it was for kaparot, actually. Oh, know, so, got it. Got yeah. It. Th- I thought you were, sh- okay. I thought you were talking about your milk. A, yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, there was a shoyhit and there, there, uh, she brought this chicken to shoyhit before Yom Kippur. So everything was done like it should be done. Wow. Yeah, and uh, just uh, recently, several years ago, uh, I, uh, I got uh, uh, from my uh, home of my parents uh, uh, sidurim from my grand my grandmother. Mm-hmm. These are sidurim from the beginning of 20th and end of uh, 19th century. Yeah, so it's like really really nice to have them. So you so you remember the traditions from your grandmother, but you were not raised in a very observant home yourself, correct? Mm, correct, absolutely correct. Uh, you see, my parents they were like uh, normal uh, Soviet Jews. Yeah, the, okay. Uh, my grand grand uh, my father he grew up at home uh, of observing uh, mother. Yeah, and uh, uh, he, he even uh, spoke Yiddish. Uh, so my my mother she didn't speak English uh, Yiddish uh, because her parents used it to make children not understand what they are speaking about. So right. <laughs> that's what they all do. Yeah, yeah, it's everywhere like this. I, I started, I learned it. So uh, you see. Uh, uh, they they used to be like uh, any usual Jews in Soviet Union, even though they made the chupa secretly in Riga, 
and uh, still they didn't kept any tradition at home except some high holidays. Uh, we were going to my grandmother's uh, for any for every high holidays. And uh, me personally, I remember that I asked my parents that why we are going for New Year in September, then it is New Year in uh, December. Yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> It was, it wasn't something, uh, uh, no, normal for me at that time. You see, I, I grew up in, uh, in different environment. So how did you, in this environment with not much Jewish observance and not much Jewish education, how did you become an Orthodox Jew? That's pretty interesting. Um, I do remember the day, uh, I just realized that, uh, I need something more than, uh, only to be a Jew. Uh, I wanted to understand how it is to be a Jew. So actually this brought me to uh, reading more and learning more. And uh, I remember the day, uh, which was like a break uh, in my life. Uh, I We were with my friends in uh, pizza. I don't remember, eating pizza or something like this. And suddenly I, I did understand that uh, I cannot eat pizza, uh, cheese with meat. So that was a stop point. Yeah. So how, how long ago was this? Oh, <laughs> it was something like seventeen years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, seventeen or eighteen, uh, even I don't remember actually. So what was going on? If, if my, I apologize for my, uh, you know, not being such an expert in Soviet Union history. At what point was it more safe to practice and to learn in the terms of the Soviet Union? I know that things got better in the recent past, but what was uh, seventeen years ago? Yeah, uh, actually things got better 25 years ago. Okay. It was, uh, late 80s, uh, when, uh, suddenly everything were, was allowed. Yeah. And, uh, also you can go, you could go to a synagogue without any problem. You can, could, uh, establish, uh, Jewish community, whatever. So I remember that, uh, the first, uh, uh, really, uh, really great deal, uh, uh, great uh, uh, activity which was done by Daugavpils Jewish community. Uh, they established uh, a separate uh, place for the victims of the Daugavpils ghetto. Yeah. So it and I pers- our family participated in this section. So it was a really race of Jewish awareness at that time in Soviet Union. Wait, can you explain? You said um, the victims of what? I don't know if our listeners or me know what that's what you're referring to. Okay, in Daugavpils, as a big city, they got a really huge uh, ghetto place uh, during the Second World War, and uh, a lot of people were just murdered in the nearest forest, as usually it was done in Eastern Europe. Uh, so. Uh, during Soviet period of time, there was no any uh, a- anyhow. It wasn't anyhow said that th- this place uh, their Jews are buried because they were murdered as a Jews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was it was like only uh, it was said that uh, Soviet citizens are laying here murdered by uh, G- German Nazis. Yeah, and that's it. Hmm. So actually, it was. Uh, it, it was absolutely not like it is uh, used to be now. It, it, it is it is now, yeah. So uh, everybody was uh, hiding their Jewishness. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it wasn't. Uh, 
how, how to say it, uh, it, was, it wasn't uh, dangerous yeah. for sure, but uh, it wasn't uh, something uh, uh, convenient. If you, if you wanted to get better job, if you want to get a better education, uh, you had to hide somehow your Jewishness. Mm. And a lot of people did it. Yeah, change their names, change their uh, documents and everything. Mm. And how about now? How can can you be openly Jewish? Can you wear a yarmulke walking around in your town? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm walking in uh, my kippah all the time. I don't have any problems here. As but you see, in Estonia, it is uh, much easier than in Latvia. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, uh, Estonians are very calm and uh, uh, so some, somehow they don't mess with people uh, who are acting differently than they are. Yeah, so usually it's not a problem. But you mentioned to me there's not many Jews in your city, right? Yes, right. Uh, it is something like 2,000 uh, Jews living here and uh, maybe five or, or six or five, uh, four, four or five uh, observing families. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I, re- I remember times that uh, when I first came here 11 years ago and our family was the second one. Uh, so. Wow. <laughs> so making a minion is not so easy to do in your town. Uh, we we do minion. We we ha- we have uh, quite a lot of people coming for Shabbos uh, for uh, high holidays uh, services. It's not a problem, but actually it is not uh, mostly the minion of uh, Shabbat keepers. Yeah, so. Got it. But uh, but uh, but uh, uh, Shabbat keeper keeping community is growing really. It is uh, not wow. not like it was before. <laughs> so is this so? Is the growth in your community what um, sort of pushed you to create this? Is it kosher app? Is that kind of how it started? Can you tell us? Can you run us through a little bit about your the side of your of yourself? That's the techie side. That's the um, you know app developer side. Can, what, when did you learn that? And was that part of university or on your own or? Ah, okay. It's uh, again, it's long, long story. I studied in university for a, a teacher of English and uh, world history of culture, uh, history of world culture, and uh, it wasn't uh, part of my education development of software anyhow. So at, at some point, I decided that I want to learn more about computing, uh, informational, te- informational technologies, uh, more about programming. And uh, th- this became my main job in some time. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to Thailand. I worked as a software quality assurance engineer. And uh, then uh, at some point I understood that uh, I have some knowledges already to start developing something. I started from simple tasks like small websites, uh, something uh, created in web. Uh, in, uh, but later, I decided to try a little bit of development for Android devices. And uh, that is how uh, I came to... It was absolutely self-education. It's mm-hmm. it, uh, nothing, nothing more. And uh, lately, I came to the understanding that uh, I can do even more than uh, just developing small uh, apps for Android. And uh, uh, I developed a simple law application. It is a Jewish, uh, Jewish calendar for Android. And uh, suddenly it, it became quite popular among uh, Jewish Android community. 
Uh, no, there's other. There's probably other luaks yeah. out there. So why? What does yours do that other ones don't? Like, what, is there a certain features that make I, yours more popular? Really, I don't, I don't know. I did it for myself. <laughs> I, I did it like it was. It was con- convenient for me to see uh, the uh, Zmanim, for example, to see how uh, what, what is the Jewish date currently. Yeah, and uh, later I added uh, possibility to search for nearest minion, and. Uh, Suddenly, a lot of people uh, found it interesting, and uh, they are using it. I see it. Uh, they, a lot of people worldwide are uh, using this application. And uh, uh, at some point, two years ago, uh, f- friends of our family they also decided to start keeping kosher. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, you see, in Tallinn, it is not that uh, easy to find kosher products in the shop, as uh, in states, for example, or sure. Israel. Yeah, so uh, they used to call me and ask if this project uh, p- product is kosher or not. I used to be like a call center girl uh, <laughs> answering. Uh, I was keeping phone in my hand and searching the Internet if the product is kosher or not. In Europe, it is uh, quite usual that uh, there are special kosher lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, where you can find uh, if the pro- product is kosher or not. So I used, I, I, I looked for such uh, kosher lists and uh, re- responded uh, to my friends that uh, this product is kosher and this is not. And uh, at some po- uh, po- point, I thought about an idea that uh, I can develop a kind of uh, mobile application where you can just enter the name of the product and find out uh, if it is kosher or not. Uh, and uh, the idea was to search through all the possible databases, all the possible kosher lists in the world uh, so that you can see that this product is kosher and this is not. Yeah. So uh, actually what is it is doing now, now it is uh, searching through more than 50 different databases. Wow. In uh, about uh, 35, 35 countries all over the world. Hmm. And even in the States, if you uh, have a product uh, with a hexer, sometimes uh, it is, uh, uh, it, I see that a lot of notifications is coming that uh, this product became kosher and this uh, became not kosher. They found out that this hexer is put there by mistake or uh, any any other problems. So even, uh, I know that people uh, checking products with Hexer in uh, in our mobile app uh, so that uh, they to see if this product is kosher or not. How about, you know, I was actually just traveling yesterday. I was in an airport in Boston and my flight was delayed and I was hungry. <laughs> I actually <laughs> saw some Hexerim I didn't recognize and I wanted to know if they were reliable. So would your app have helped me in that situation? Would it have given me, are, are you checking these lists with people who can tell you this is a reliable Hexer or not? Or? Uh, actually, we have this idea in our long list of uh, things to do. Yeah, because we want to, uh, currently we added some features uh, like uh, you can share information about the product price and place where to buy it. Yeah, but uh, later we want to add some more uh, possibilities like uh, commenting, like rating. Yeah. So people people will see if this uh, hexer is uh, useful. Uh, 
useful for them or yeah. not. Maybe they they can choose another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the idea. Uh, we, we have a lot of ideas currently, and uh, we think that we hope that next year we'll uh, fulfill uh, at least half of them. That's <laughs> because great. Because it's a, a lot of work to do. Now you made this cute little cartoon, which is how I found you originally. Is and the cartoon it looks like there's like a scanning process. Is that how it works? Do you type in the food or do you scan something to to bring it up? Uh, it, uh, currently, it, uh, we have a possibility to scan for barcode uh, uh, of the product. Uh, it is uh, not working all the time as uh, we want it to be because uh, the databases are not complete uh, with uh, barcodes. But we are working um, re- really hard to make our database uh, to work on barcodes because searching by, by name is quite nice uh, possibility to find for some new product. For example, you are looking for some chips or crackers and uh, you are entering the crack, uh, name, uh, just word crackers, and you are getting the information about crackers. But uh, if you are looking for a definite uh, product, uh, if you are looking information uh, if it is kosher or not, then definitely uh, uh, barcode is more re- reliable source of information. And uh, we uh, we know that uh, at this moment we have uh, quite a big uh, database of uh, barcoded uh, products. Uh, what we what we can provide now. Got it. Now I heard that your app is being used internationally, including places like Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. Yes, <laughs> it is it is a really funny story, and uh, I see that. Uh, uh, we are tracking the information where, where it is used and uh, in what, what countries, uh, what, what cities uh, uh, our application is used. But I, I should say that it is absolutely anonymously, so we don't know who is using it. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, so uh, yeah, that is that is why uh, we saw that uh, there were many many requests from Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. And uh, we start looking for information why people in Saudi Arabia or Kuwait uh, would like to use our application. And we found that uh, most uh, requests are coming from the places where, for example, uh, American uh, army uh, base is located uh. or even uh, American embassy is located in Saudi Arabia yeah, in one city and uh, we are getting requests from there. So it is uh, mostly uh, some Jewish people in these places. They are looking Mm. for kosher products all around them, Mm. and uh, they want to check if it is kosher or not. Well, this is a a fabulous way to use your interest in, uh, you know, technology and your passion for Judaism and bringing the two together. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Alison. And tell tell our listeners how can they uh, download this app onto their phone? It's free, right? Yeah, it's absolutely free, and uh, we have uh, apps for iPhone and uh, for Android. And what do they search uh, for? Uh, what? what? What should they search for? Ah, just search Is It Kosher, but uh, you can enter our website, isitkosher.eu, okay. and uh, you'll, you'll be proposed to download the app directly from App Store or Google Play. Okay, great. Well, I hope we can help hungry kosher travelers <laughs> and uh, citizens all over the world with uh, publicizing your app. And best yeah, of luck ho- to you. We hope so, yeah. <laughs> okay, take care. Thank you.
Thank you. And up next, we have Esti Ackerman, one of Jew in the City's 2014 Orthodox Jewish All-Stars. Esti, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Sure, no problem. Thank you for having me. So you you speak to, you know, uh, national uh, news outlets, uh, New York Post and ABC, and you come on to Jew in the City, too. So we, we appreciate you making some time for us. What grade are you in? I'm in eighth. Eighth grade. Um, and you live in Long Island. And um, so you, you've been observant your whole life. You grew up Orthodox, correct? Correct. And uh, you go to Jewish day school, Shabbos, kosher, all that sort of stuff. And so, um, you know, that's a common thing in the Orthodox community. But then you, something sort of uh, uncommon developed. So when did this ping pong thing start? Like how old were you? And when did people realize like, hey, that girl's pretty good? Well, I started when I was about seven or eight years old, and my dad really brought it into me. And when we went to these clubs to practice, the coaches says to me that I see you have good talent and you should continue, and we think you will be very good. And so when did you start playing? Um, you probably have a pretty strict practice regimen. Am I correct about that? Um, yeah, we try to play for about four to five times a week for about three to four hours. Wow. So that between a, a double curriculum yeshiva high school schedule plus three to four hours, uh, that's, that's a lot. That's a big commitment. Um, and so you, you made national attention, um, a couple of years ago because of, uh, a conflict with Shabbos. Can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about this? Yeah, two years ago in December, we went to Las Vegas for the U.S. Nationals, and there's a bunch of different events uh, from doubles to age, ability, and in one of the ability events, I came to the round of 16, and when we checked for what time the next match would be, it was 7.30 p.m. Friday night, and we said to ourselves, how can this be? We talked to the referees, but they really never had the situation before when I'm only the orthodox player in a, in the USATT organization, which members over 9,000. Wow. I was very disappointed a little when I was training six months for this very good tournament, when I was changing my schedule around, and when I came pretty far, people said that I could have won the whole event, but I knew that defaulting would be much better than playing on Chavez because that's what Hashem would want. Wow. So do you see yourself as a role model? Do you have other kids coming up to you and telling you, you know, this inspired me, or have you gotten any feedback like that? Um, yes, I did, because it really appreciates me how I've inspired kids that no matter what you go through in life, keeping the Torah, kosher food, Shabbos is our main priority. Wow. I'm feeling inspired right now. Essie, I want to keep kosher and keep the Torah right now. So, <laughs> Thank you. So of all the things, you've been on Rachel Ray, you've beaten Bobby Flay, you've, you know, national attention, and then you became a Jew in the City Orthodox Jewish All-Star. What did, what did you think when you found that out? Well, I first want to thank you in the city for giving me this prestigious honor. I also want to con con congratulate the other nine individuals for all their accomplishments, and I'm really looking forward to the dinner. 
We are looking forward to uh, to the dinner as well, and we're working on right now. Maybe uh, you're going to be doing a little bit of playing at the at the dinner. What we're talking to your father about. We're trying to work out how this will go, but maybe we're going to have an opportunity for some of our guests to uh, see if they can beat SD Ackerman. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. All right, so um, you are our youngest all-star um, in our three-year history, um, and you're you're just a bright, shining star um, in the Orthodox Jewish world and in the Jewish community at large um, because you really have your head on straight. You are going for your dreams, and you're working hard at it, but ultimately you have a bigger mission and message in life, and um, we we thank your parents for raising you so well, and we thank, thank you for you being this, this great role model. And um, we look forward to meeting you in a few weeks on December 2nd. Yep. Okay, take care. You too. And thank you for joining us today on Jew in the City Speaks. We spoke to Misha first, who retraced his Jewish heritage in a place where... Uh, you know, observing Judaism was not so likely in Estonia and Latvia and places that I'm not exactly sure where they're located. But uh, he had grandparents who uh, their their better choice of going to the Nazis was to flee to Siberia. I mean, really tough uh, uh, conditions. Um, and through that path, Misha found his way back to tradition. And then we have Esti, who... Um, in her own way, has made sacrifices to hold on to Jewish tradition. She was blessed with this uh, beautiful talent in ping pong, and she knows what her first priorities are to, uh, you know, remain committed to her people and to uh, and her heritage. Um, and if you'd like to meet Esty um, and join us at the Orthodox Jewish All-Star Awards on December 2nd, please visit jewinthecity.com slash ojallstars, and there's information where you can buy your ticket and um, help support you in the city to keep telling stories of people who have committed to their heritage, who are doing positive things with their talents. And um, thanks so much for joining us today, and we look forward to uh, having you tune in next week too. Bye-bye.